First Chronicles chapter 11. Then all Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are your bone of your flesh. Also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be a ruler over my people Israel. Therefore the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord. Verse 1. It tells us that all Israel, how much is all? All of Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Notice with me, it says in verse 2, that it also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, this is to David, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of Samuel. Where are we? Well, last time, last Wednesday night, we went through 3,000 years of history. Wasn't that great? We blew through those first 10 chapters, amen. How many of you went home and read those names? Nobody. <laughs> did, did someone go through them? No? All right. I was just checking. And so we transitioned from Kings. And the last time in the end of Kings, we were in Babylon. And then the Medes and the Persians took over. And then they came out with Ezra to, to go into the temple and then Nehemiah. And now the chronicler is back in Israel and he is giving Israel that history lesson once again. They've been away for a while and now they need to know who, whose family is what, where they are, what lineage is around. And he is going to do that through history, through King David. I want to note something. Uh, to you in verse 3, it says that, therefore all the elders came to King David at what town? Hebron. Now, why is that important? Let's see how well I can stay with staying on track tonight. Israel's been in the news lately, has, has it not? Uh, we have a president that is almost as, as pro-Israel as the first president was, that was Truman. Truman was the one who recognized the state of Israel, and he helped them in the beginning. I know that you, some of you may not even know this, but it, it's good information. Richard Nixon actually was very pro-Israel. And without the help of the United States of America during the Six-Day War and Richard Nixon, who told the generals to keep those planes flying between the United States and Israel nonstop, bringing them weapons and guns and ammunition and everything, 
without that. By the way, this is just free in case you're on Jeopardy. Richard Nixon's mom prophesied that he would help Israel later on in his life when he was a kid. It was God-ordained. It doesn't really matter sometimes what we think of these men who hold the office like now, but they're so pro-Israel. Um, I've been watching, well, it's, a, it's part of my role is to kind of know and be informed of what's going on, so I watch a lot of YouTube clips. Thank God they're like four and five minutes long. Amen. I don't know if I can handle too much of that longer than that, but the news media, this is going to be a shocker, called the peace treaty with these uh, Arab nations a distraction. So peace, which kind of makes sense, right, because they're for rioting and looting, but peace is a distraction. And I thought, they have no idea what's being fulfilled as prophecy. Ezekiel 38 describes the nations of Sheba and Dedan who will not, well, they, they don't get into the fight of the Arab-Russian attack on Israel, and these Arab states stay out of that fight. In fact, they protest, and you know who those Arab nations are? Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and maybe Kuwait. Well, who was the first one that just signed? United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and there's word that Saudi Arabia will soon be signing a peace treaty with Israel. It's amazing, isn't it? Why is it going on? What does this have to do with tonight's study? Hold on. (laughs) Because Turkey and Iran are the big players in that 38 war, Ezekiel 38 war. And these nations are afraid of Turkey and Iran. So now they know the only ally in the area that could help protect them are the Jews. Who would ever think that the Arab nations would have a peace treaty with Israel? Look, you thought COVID was exciting. This is the stuff that's exciting. And yet the news media and other people in Congress are mad because the Palestinians weren't involved with it. They have nothing to do with this. Well, that's where we get to our text. Because Hebron, Palestinians have control over David's first capital. Benjamin Netanyahu, who I would love for him to be our president at some point. That would have been just a hoot. But he said, why would we give Hebron away when it was David's first capital? I... I, I second the notion, Bibi Netanyahu, I don't know, but it's not in the hands of the Jews, and yet right here in the Bible, it tells us who owns it. It is the Jewish nation, and it was David's first capital until he gets into verse 4. That was eight minutes to get through those verses, wasn't it? And David and all of Israel went to Jerusalem, which was Jebus, which were the Jebusites, and they inhabited the land. And so it is simply just an outcropping of rocks in that area. I don't have COVID, stop freaking out. You cough now and everybody's like, wow, it's a cold. I got a cold from somebody around here who loved me too much or loved my kids. 
And so uh, Jerusalem was just really nothing. It really wasn't a big city. But it's where the Jebusites lived. And Mount Moriah, which will go on to be where the temple site was, that wasn't even inhabited at all. It was just really this small city, uh, and it was inhabited by the Jebusites. Notice verse 5. But the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, (laughs) You shall not come in here. And nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. If you ever want to know who owns Jerusalem today, it says it right here. It's the Jewish people. It is their capital. Therefore, our president, which no other president has done, recognized it. And now our embassy is sitting in Jerusalem, not in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is a modern city, by the way. That only happened after the forming of, in 1948. And so now they took the stronghold, and David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain, and Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first and became chief. Now David dwelt in the stronghold, therefore they called it the city of David. And they built the city all around from Milo to the surrounding area, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. And so David went on and became great, Notice, and the Lord of hosts was with him. Now, there were heads of the mighty men that whom David had, who had strengthened themselves, verse 10, with his kingdom and with all of Israel to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this number of mighty men whom David had, Jashobim, the son of a Hakamite, <laughs> Don't you love that name? Hakamite, chief of the captains. He had lifted up. Now, it just, the chronicles gonna, chronicler is going to tell us a couple of things about these men. But it says that Jashubim lifted up his spear against 300 men and killed him at one time. These are the men you want to have around you. Do you not? Like, uh, how many guys are out there? About 250. All right, send the one guy. That's all you need. We're going to see that David is smart, then he brings these mighty men around him. A good leader does that, and this is why one of the reasons David is so successful, not only because the Lord is with him, but he had had men who had that same heart as well. Now, after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, and don't you love that name? Where are you from, Dodo? And he was one of the three mighty men. So Eliezer is, is part of this three top tier men. And he was with Dave at, uh, David at Padnam. Now, there the Philistines were gathered for battle, and there was a piece of ground full of barley. And so the people fled from the Philistines, but they stationed themselves in the middle of that field defending it. And killed the Philistines, and so the Lord brought about a great victory. We're going to see that this is just a theme over and over. We're going to see David stopping, asking the Lord. Sometimes he's going to move forward. Sometimes it's going to be good, and then the Lord's going to say, no, let's do it a different way. And I want you to note that as we journey through the life of David. How many times the Lord does things differently? It's not just one prescribed way. It's different. 
so too in our own life. We think, okay, well, I did that before that way. I'll just do it again. And God said, no, 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 let's, let's, let's go this way. Let's do something different. Now, three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam. And the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephilim. And David was with them in the stronghold. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is in the gate. And so three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it and poured it out to the Lord. Now, a couple of things. If I'm the three guys and I watched him pour it out, I'd be a little mad, but we'll, we'll leave that alone today. Like, what are you doing? I just ran all that way and almost died to bring you a cup of water. I want you to note one interesting thing. As we journey through and we see these a lot of parallels between King David and King Jesus, obviously not the failures of David, don't apply to King Jesus, but this isn't David sitting in the cave and then yelling out, how, oh, how he longed for a drink. It was just him sitting there, and yet there were three guys close enough to the king to hear the king. Isn't that interesting? They, they wanted to be around David all of the time. They wanted to be with him, and it was important that they would be with him so that they could hear him when he would announce something. How close are we to King Jesus? Can we really hear him or the noise of the world drowning things out? Encourage you. Uh, that's what I love about Arrowwood. You can tune out and turn off up there. And so they broke through. <laughs> These guys come back. They've risked their lives. Verse 19 says, and, and so he said, Far be it from me, O God, that I should do this, that I should drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy for at, uh, I'm sorry, for at the risk of their lives, they brought it here. Therefore, he would not drink. These things were done by these three mighty men. Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, was a chief and another of these three. And he had lifted up his spear against 300 men. Again, the, he, you guys, he has all of these guys that have singular wiped out entire armies by themselves. It's like, why do we even need 50,000 troops? We just need a couple of these guys around. And the three of them were more honored than the other two men. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not obtain to be the first. Now, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many uh, good deeds... He also had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. And on top of that, he also had gone down and killed a lion. The chronicler just tells us, killing a lion is amazing, but then doing it in the midst of a pit, which means you can't get out on a snowy day. How's that work? Like, let's choose the worst day to fight. 
Is there ice on the ground? Yep. That's the day I want to go fight a lion. Who thinks that way? But you're around David. Do you see what a good leader does? Do you see what the king can do for you? What can Jesus do? He can equip you to do the work, and he can motivate you to do it in the midst of, do I dare say, a lion or any adversity. Not only that is, he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall, or 7.5 feet tall. That's a big dude. In the Egyptian hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These guys are awesome. Whatever gladiator program is on TV, these guys are like five times that. They would whip anybody around today. And again, they're motivated by King David. Now, these things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and he won a name among the three mighty men. And indeed, he was more honored than the 30. So you have this 30 group, but you have these uh, these three mighty men inside as well as even closer to that. And he did not obtain to the first three, but David appointed him over his guard. Now, Benaniah eventually will kill Joab. Uh, that'll come a lot later. But Benaniah becomes David's private um, guard. Also, the mighty warriors were Ashel, the brother of Joab, Elena, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem. And then it, it, it chronicles these names of the mighty men of David. Please note with me uh, an important name down in verse 41, Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men. And yet he will violate that trust with Uriah the Hittite. He will take unto himself Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Chapter 12. Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war. David had his... um, kind of command center in Ziklag while he was on the run from Saul. And it said that men were drawn to David. They were desperate men and men of renown. You know what it makes me? They're like pirates. Like they were drawn to David at Ziklag and they started to follow him there. Notice armed with bows using the, uh, both the right and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. And they were of Benjamin, Saul's brother. And then it lists out these men and what they were doing for David while they were in the wilderness. Now, verse 8 says, Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle the, sh- the shield and the spear, and whose faces were like the faces of lion, and who were swift as gazelle on the mountains. Again, who doesn't want to have SEAL Team 6 around you? 
That's what this is. These guys started to hear about David, that he was in the wilderness. And all of these warriors, because as we will learn, not tonight, we will learn that David is a warrior. He will not allow to build the temple because God says, David, you have shed much blood. But he is a warrior, and other warriors want to be around a great warrior. And so they all come around him, and I love the definition of the chronicler. Their faces were like lions, and they were swift as gazelles on the mountains. Listen, a soldier back then had very uh, few implements of war. He had a sword, maybe a shield. It's not like a soldier today. I don't know how these guys do that. They got 60 pounds on their back, let alone their rifle, and then we're wanting them to walk up a hill in Afghanistan. And the captains of the army and the least was over a hundred and the greatest was over a thousand. And these are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it had overflown all of its banks, and they put to fight all of those in the valleys to the east and to the west. And these are some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David in the stronghold. And David went out to meet them, and he answered them, said, If you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart, please note this, will be united with you. But if you betray, <laughs> listen, you guys betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong between us in my hand, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Wonderful. You guys here to help? Great. But if you stab me in the back, you don't, I'm not going to do anything to you. God will. That's pretty heavy. And then, where did I leave? 18. And then the spirit came upon Amasa, the chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace. You want to hear from a bunch of warriors who are in front of you. Look, we're here for peace. Peace to you and peace to your helpers. For God helps you. How do they know that? Because David has a reputation up to this point. People know in Israel what God is doing in his his life. And these bunch of ruffians that have gathered around David. By the way... uh, I can't wait to see all of this happen in, on the jumbo screen in heaven. This is the kind, uh, someone needs to make a movie about David's life in the wilderness and these men. So uh, get me um, Mel Gibson's number and uh, we'll, we'll get him working on it. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon these men who just gathered around David. They came to him, they were drawn to him. Because he had a walk that was pleasing to the Lord, and that was contagious to these men. And some of them from Manasseh defected to David when he was going with the Philistines to battle against Saul, but they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by agreement, saying, he may defect to his master Saul and endanger our heads. At one point, David joined himself with the Philistines to, well, it was an alliance of by means at the time. And as the Philistines were going to battle to Saul, 
the Philistines' lords said to David, listen, uh, we, we want you to come, but in the midst of the heat of the battle, you're still a Jew, and at some point, if it looks bad, you're going to go against us and not against King Saul. And they said, you cannot come with them, come with us. So he went to Ziklag, and those of Manasseh who defected with him were these men. And he helped David in verse 21 against the bands of raiders, for they were almighty men of valor, and they were captains in their army. And from that time they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. Why is Solomon so successful after David? Because of what we're reading here. Because David is able to literally destroy all of the uh, armies around Israel, in Israel, and destroy them so that when Solomon gets there, there is no enemy. Excuse me. Now, these were the numbers, verse 23, these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David in Hebron to to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. And then it just goes through all of the list of how many soldiers there were, great amount of soldiers. Verse 38, Now all the men of war who kept ranks came to Hebron. Please note with me with a loyal heart. Guys, when we're talking about King David, he is successful because he has men around him who have the same heart. They have a loyal heart. We too, as followers of King Jesus, need to have a loyal heart. He continues, I think, <laughs> verse 38, where did I, oh, with a loyal heart, to make David king over Israel and all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. And there they were with David for three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them from as far away as Ishakar and Zebulun and Nephtali were bringing food and donkeys and camels and mules and oxen, provisions of flour and cakes of figs and cakes of raisins, wine and oil and oxen and sheep in abundance. For there was joy in Israel. Chapter 13. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. David wanted to be very clear about his next action. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out our brethren everywhere who are left in the land of Israel with them to the priest and the Levites, who are in their cities and in their common land, that they may gather together to us. Get everybody together. Get all the Levites, get all the priests, and let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we uh, we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. And then all the assembly said that they would do so, for this thing was right in the sight of all the people. During Saul's reign, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, and the Philistines took the Ark, they put it on a cart, 
They brought it to their te- the temple of Dagon. Remember that? One of the greatest. Oh, I love that uh, historical account there. And, and so they bring it before the temple of Dagon. They, they go to bed, and in the morning, who's on his face? That Dagon God. Dagon's on his face. You know you have the wrong God when you have to lift your God back up and put him in his place. And as the, as the time went on, they got boils and there was rats and the Philistines like, get this thing out of here. So they put it on a cart with some mules and they, they sent it off down the road. And then eventually it came to this house and there, can you imagine? There's the, no one is around it. It's just the ark with a bunch of oxen. I, I think that's kind of important. So now they've, they've all come together. <clears throat> David is there, and he wants to bring the ark of the Lord back and put it in now the new capital that is Jerusalem. Anyone think this is a great idea? So, oh, no, it's a wonderful idea. It's just how it's going to get implemented, <laughs> and that's a good idea. The idea of bringing the ark of the covenant back to the center of Israel's conscious was good. Their method of bringing it back would be faulty. It was good for both David and the Israelites to have the ark in Jerusalem. We're going to see that he does not do what God commanded the transportation of the ark back in the Old Testament. And sadly, one guy is going to lose his life because of good motives, but the method of getting it done did not line up with God's word. And so David, verse 5, gathered all of Israel from Sinhar in Egypt as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God back from Kirjath-Jerim. David and all of Israel went to uh, Bala to Kirjath-Jerim which belongs to Judah, to bring up the ark of, uh, ark of God, the Lord who dwells between the cherub, which is his name to proclaim. And so they carry the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio, not Ohio, but Ahio, drove the cart. Okay. Problem yet? How could there be a problem? It says they got a new cart. Let's take a look at it. So it's in Kirjath Jerem. It says, The ark of the Lord was there, who dwelt between the cherub, and his name is proclaimed. And so they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. In the law of Moses, the ark of the covenant was only to be trans, uh, transported on the shoulders of the priest. There were poles, two poles, one on either side, to go through these gold rings that were on the side of it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch Raiders of the Lost Ark or watch the clip of it. You can see they put those poles through there and they carry That's exactly how it was carried. Now, how did it just get translated, uh, transported last? It got transported last by the Philistines who are not believers, who are not Jews, they put it onto a cart and took it to 
this town of Kirjap Jerem. Let's go down a little bit and then we'll back up. Well, as they carried the ark of God on a new cart, verse 8 says, Then David and all, the, uh, of, all of Israel played the music before God, and all of their might with the singing and the harp and the stringed instruments and the tambourines on cymbals with trumpets. And when they came to Chilon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and the oxen stumbled. Everybody got this visual? Cart, oxen going down the road. Chilon's threshing floor. What is on a threshing floor? Wheat, barley, debris. Is there going over it? The cart is doing this, going up and down, and it looks like the ark is going to tip over, and Uzzah does one of these to stabilize it. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put out his hand to the ark And it says he died before the Lord. Verse 11 says, Now David became angry because the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, that place is called Para-Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring up the ark of the God to me? And so David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but took it outside in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. Please note with me, the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Now you read that and you go, that doesn't sound fair. All Uzzah was doing was trying to steady the ark. And yet, the word is very clear in the law of Moses that the priest were to carry it, but it also says that anybody who touches the sacred thing, and that specifically meant the ark, they were, to, they were to die. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to learn from this. Number one, apparently Uzzah didn't know his history. See what happens when you go into captivity? When you leave your national home and you go to Babylon, and you go to the Medes and the Persians, and you get wrapped up in that culture, and you start to not remember what even the law of Moses said. Listen, David airs here big, and I even question David. It's like, David, how, Dave, how can you not know that's how the ark is supposed to be carried? Where are the priests and the Levites? Anybody ask that question? Where... He brought them together. Was there not one priest that says, oh, and by the way, probably no one should touch it because God said you'll die. That should have been like that. You ever done that safety briefing before you do anything at work? You're at work and like you have to go through the safety briefing, right? You're like, don't touch the high electrical, you'll die. Well, someone should have said, don't touch the ark, you'll die. No safety meeting. Let's back up a little bit. Where did it go wrong? Remember, it's a good thing to bring it out of Kirjath-Jerim into Jerusalem. Wonderful goal. Wonderful goal to have God at the center of your nation. 
wonderful goal of David. David wants to bring the people and God back together in the capital. Okay, I don't got time for that. We have left God in this nation. And then we're surprised when the things happen. David wanted, David's heart was to have God's presence in the midst of his people. Wonderful. But it went wrong when it, when we learned in verse 7, let's pick it up, that they carry the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Excuse me. Uzzah means strength. That's what his name means. Ahio means friendly. Again, much service for the Lord is like this. A new cart, a big production, with strength and friendly out in front. Yet all of this is done without inquiring of the Lord or looking to his will or to his word. But we got a big production, don't we? We got a new cart. What's a cart? It's got boards and wheels on it. How many churches tend to have a great heart, good motives, they do this huge production, and God's not anywhere to be found. They're just turning their wheels, and they're spending a lot of money. Again, a big production, but they did not inquire of God require, uh, rec- regarding the production itself. This was a good thing done in a wrong way. Does everybody get that? So it went off the rails when they used the pagan way of transporting the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, why change? The Philistines did it. It worked, but they're pagans. And we often do the exact same thing in the church. We go, well, it's successful in the world, so why not bring that into the church? Obviously, it's going to be successful. And here is what is dangerous. It's trying to find the right adjective. What's dangerous is oftentimes it does work. And it works for a while. In fact, if you were to walk into some churches, the way that Americans think, and you see a big crowd, obviously the Lord is here. Look at the crowd. That's not always the case. I mean, look around. We barely got 30 people here tonight. But the Lord is here. It's not about numbers. It's about what does God's word say? Our job is not production. Our job is not to entertain people. It is to bring them the truth. And David did not ask a priest or a Levite whose job is. Now, let's just talk about them for a minute. Maybe they went to a seminary where it wasn't taught anymore. That happens all the time. And we wonder why these pastors come out and they don't hold to the word of God or the inerrancy of that because they've been taught it from there. By the way, we're going to get into this, I, not, uh, not in this future uh, roundtable discussion with uh, Mike and I, but we're going to get into what the socialist communist agenda looked like 
And part of it was infiltrating, I know this is a shock, the universities, shocker, 1960s. But do you know where they targeted next? The seminaries. They, you would think, yeah, but that doesn't make sense. They don't believe in God. Yes, they don't. But they infiltrated these, what we would know as wonderful bastions of learning the word of God. And yet today, you'll see, let me not even say that. You'll see professors that just spout all kinds of anti-biblical stuff. Why did it go wrong with David here? Because he didn't inquire of the Lord. He thought what he was doing was, how could it go wrong? I have this great idea. We're going to take it from point A to point B. Never goes into the manual and finds out how to do it, but thinks to himself, the Philistines did it that way. That sounds good. And then it says he gets angry at the Lord. Isn't that always how it is? Lord, it didn't work out how I thought it. It's your fault. (laughs) What did Adam say? Lord, it's that woman you brought me. Wasn't my fault. It's her. We blow it. We blame God. It doesn't go the way that we think, and we blame God. It's not his fault. We made choices. We decided not to listen to God's word. We decided not to get counsel from the people that should know better, hence the priest and the Levites. Notice with me, David was afraid of God that day. I think this is very telling of David because up to this point, David has a really good relationship with God, doesn't he? I think he's afraid because that connection is broken and he doesn't know what to do. What do you do when all of it just went south right in front of you and you're the leader? (laughs) I know what that feels like. What do you do? Well, sometimes David here expresses his heart And it says that he was afraid. Well, David is smart. He's like, listen, we got to regroup, put the ark over there at Obed-Edom's house. And I love how it says in verse 14 that Obed-Edom's house was blessed because of the ark, because God's presence was there. And again, the ark represented that. Chapter 14. Now, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees with masons and carpenters to build him a house. That means his own dwelling house. And so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, for his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel. Please note with me that David, and we don't know where this falls, so let, I don't know where it is chronologically. Is it after or is it before this event? But whatever it is, it, and some say before. He's, David knows in verse 2 that the Lord had established him. It's God who did the work. My family and I were doing our devotions this morning in Deuteronomy. I posted that uh, on, on Facebook. Uh, and it, we can, and Deuteronomy is talking about how they, when they come back in the land, right, they're going to go into the land. The houses are going to be there. The fields are going to be there you're not doing anything. God's done all the work, but there's a danger when you go into the land and you get settled that you start thinking, you know, I really did this. This is my strength. And God goes, it's not your strength at all. You better be careful with that. David knew that. 
David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, for his kingdom was highly exalted for the sake of the people of Israel. God had favor upon David. Now, David took more wives. Pause. Bad. Last time we saw that David had six wives, and now he's got more. David has a problem, doesn't he? He has a female problem, to which he will pass on to his son, Solomon. That guy will have 700 wives and 300 concubines. The, the amount of birthday cards the guy has to write is enormous. <laughs> so David took more wives. The Bible does not condone it. The chronicler is simply telling us what is happening. And so David begot more sons and daughters. And these are the names of the children whom he had in Jerusalem. Two of them I want you to note with me. Very important in verse 4, Nathan and Solomon. We talked about this, and I think it was Luke chapter 3. We spent a lot of time on this, how Solomon is the king. That's going to be passed to him. And the forces of evil and the devil, they attacked that line of Solomon all the way through. And yet Nathan is the one that Luke describes to us that where Jesus comes from. And it's like... The enemy is focused on this line, and God allows that line to have the attention, all the while Nathan's just a, woo how you doing, forces of evil? God doesn't run around the forces of evil all the time, amen? They're looking over here, here's Nathan. These two, Solomon, kingly line, Nathan, Jesus, comes through. Well, well, what? Oh, verse 8, there we go. Now, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed of, uh, king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, and David heard of it, and he went out. This is very common. When a new king would take the throne of any kingdom, it was a great opportunity for your enemies to come attack you. Why? Because not everything is established. You're having different... You know, you're trying to appoint all of these federal judges and you're trying to get generals and put the stars on them. You're trying to get them. It's a wonderful opportunity to attack a nation. And they knew that. And so here they come against David. And then the Philistines, verse 9, went up and made a raid on the valley of Rephaim. And David, please note with me, inquired of God, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Very important. Will you deliver them into my hand? Two questions. <laughs> Should I? And are you going to be there? Moses said, I don't want to go anywhere, Lord, that you're not going. Why would we go if you're not going to go with us? And so the Lord said to him, go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. And so they went up as far as Baal Perizim, and David defended them there. And David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, they called the name of the place Baal Perizim to this day. 
And when they had left their gods there, that's the little g, did you note that? Left their gods there, David commanded that they would to be burned with fire. Now, if you were making a god, typically you made that god out of a precious metal, be it silver or gold or bronze or something, and so it, it had material wealth to it. Not that the god meant anything, but the metal itself was worth something. Would we not agree? It's a gold item. And what does David say? This is where David is. You know, you you read a chapter like that, which we just got through, and you're like, David, I don't get it. And then you get to a chapter like this, and he just blows your mind. And he goes, this guy's got it. And then the next chapter, he does a Bathsheba. And then he puts his face on the ground, and he says, Lord, create me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit. You're like, wonderful. And then the next chapter, he blows it, and then he comes back. Why is David such an amazing man? Because how short a time he comes back to the Lord. You know the maturity level is when you fail and you stumble, how long it takes you to go back to God. With him and God was doing wonderful things. It was contagious. And so when they left their little G gods there, you know, you got the wrong God when you leave your God behind, right? And David commanded that they be burned with fire. We, we should do the same thing in our world. We need to leave our little G's behind and burn them, destroy them, not put them in a storage facility for later, but get rid of them. And then the Philistines, verse 13, once again made a raid on the valley. What you will learn through the next how many chapters we have in here? I forget. Well, the rest, the, the rest of Chronicles is all about David. What you're going to see time and time again is that the enemy doesn't go, <sighs> David's king. I guess we'll just let him conquer us. The enemy never rests. Right now, it's the Philistines. Then it's going to be the Hittites, the Perizzites, all the ites in the land. They don't rest. The enemy always comes against us. When we think, have you ever been in that place where you think to yourself, it's a little too quiet right now? What's about to happen? You're like, everything's happening nicely, the kids and everything, and all. I've paid all my bills on time, everything. Nothing's really crazy. What's about to happen? See, that's a smart believer. Like, what's going on? And note with me that they made a, a raid again. On the valley. Therefore, David inquired again of God, and God said to him, You shall not go up after them. Now, before, he just said, Go. I want you to note this how many times God does different things through the life of David, even ourselves. He said, You shall not go up after them, but you shall circle around them. Oh, I like that, Lord. Flank them and come up. Come upon them in front of the mulberry trees, and it shall be when you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall go to battle, for God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. So, Lord, should we go? No. But I want you guys to go over here and stand in front of these mulberry trees, come around them on the back, 
to stay there, then what I'm going to do is make a rustling in the trees. It's going to freak them out, and they're going to be driven towards you. And so David did as he commanded, and they drove back the army of the Philistines from Gibeon as far as Gezer. And then the fame of David went into all the land, and the Lord brought fear of him upon all of the nations. Now, we're totally out of time. I want you to read ahead next week because we're going to see, Lord willing, how the ark gets brought back and how David repents, and at the end of it, we'll see a schism between one of David's wives and David for what he did for the Lord in bringing the ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives and through the lives of the people in this church who are devoted to you, Lord, and have the hearts like these mighty men who just want to come alongside and hear what the king would say. Lord, that we would be close enough to hear your words. Thank you, Lord, for what you're providing and, Lord, how you direct us and how, Lord, you often win the battles even before we get into the battles. So, Lord, your hand is strong. It's mighty. But, Lord, let us be careful about doing things and going out in front of you like David did in bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Lord, let us not use the methods of the world, the methods, Lord, of pagans. We must use the methods of the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. We ask, Lord, that you be with us through this this next storm that's coming and through those who are in Alabama and Georgia, Lord, who are being hit by the storm in Mississippi and, Lord, through our own state, that you would just protect those who are in the midst of that and to the first responders as well. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand.